Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. This show is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash Elder Scrolls Lorecast. Robots Radio presents... Elder Scrolls Lorecast, a place where the Elder Scrolls community can come together to discuss the boundaries of our knowledge about the universe of the Elder Scrolls. All right, adventurers, welcome back to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. I am your host, Tom, or Robots, and I am here with uh, my wonderful co-host, Lettuce of Broom. Lettuce. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Correct. <laughs> now with more lettuce for bristles in said broom. <laughs> welcome back, Lotus of Doom. How's it going, buddy? Uh, it's going pretty well. Going pretty well. How are you? Good. Good. We're uh, we're now clearly into the new year. It's a few weeks now. Yep. I feel like time's just time's just flying. We're moving through stuff and um, we've done uh, we started into the different uh, leaders of Elder Scrolls online, especially specifically. Uh, We talked about Yorin last week and this week we're moving on to the uh, current leader of the Daggerfall Covenant, uh, King Emmerich, who has a similarly interesting story. It isn't as developed, I would say, as somebody like Yorin, but it's still interesting and yes there are a number of um details that i'm not going to cover because they tie into a lot of the quest lines that you can do in the game where he's involved i was going to say one of the big problems with discussing him is the fact that part of his story in game which would spoil what you're doing in the daggerfall covenant well granted it's base game but there's no reason to just overtly spoil things for the sake of spoiling them Mm -hmm. but um some of his character development and history is like portrayed in the game which is a little different than yorin where you can just kind of read his background right thing right so we're gonna we're gonna go into a little bit of that but there's a lot of these other side quests and things that we're we're not gonna hit all of them it was either like a very specific amount of things or a ton of stuff and kind of go through all the different plot lines um we're gonna cover the most important stuff so if you don't want any spoilers about some of the stuff that happens in the game you may want to skip say the second half of this episode uh but you can still listen to the first half um but uh, I Which think I mean, that, I, I that comes to some of his of. most important stuff, though, I think. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair, it's it's hard to discuss lore and uh, theory and stories of the series without kind of having them be spoilery. So, right. right. There's always a little bit of that. Yeah, it's it's hard to have a lore cast where you can't discuss spoiler-based stuff. Not that we aim to spoil stuff. Right, but. right. But this is content that's been out for years now. So um, Yeah, this is base game. This is base game stuff. So, uh, so yeah, no worries there. Nothing from the most recent expansion. None of the stuff that came out the last year, at least as far as right. I'm aware. Um, so... Uh, so let's dig into it. Um, with any good ruler, you kind of have to understand how they came to power and who was in power before they arrived. And King Emmerich wasn't the kind of leader who just was born into the position. Like his parents were the previous rulers and therefore he became the next ruler. Uh, it's a little bit different for him. So before King Emmerich rose to power, the uh, previous ruler of Wayrest, which is where King Emmerich 
comes from was King Gardner. And this is, of course, during the Second Era. And we don't know exactly when King Gardner came to power. That hasn't been revealed in the lore yet. Um, but it was sometime before the Second Era 563, because that was the end of his reign. And King Gardner was the last member of the Gardner dynasty, which descended from a merchant prince who was first proclaimed king. And as we know, with a lot of the people from that area with a lot of Bretons that they they are all merchants or a lot of them are known for their their mercantilism if that's a word we can use mercantilism um, I, I I mean that <laughs> that's a fancy word if you, if you say it with conviction it's a word it's I a mean, word it's a word yeah and um, he was known for expanding the city's walls and fortifications and allowing it to survive a 57 day siege by Durkaroks invading hordes back in 541 so Durkarok, that's another name that may not be familiar to you. Durkarok was the Reachman Emperor of Tamriel, or at least Cyrodiil at the time. And if you remember back from um, a number of episodes, I think we go maybe two or three months ago, we talked about the Reachmen and the fact that they were actually the rulers. They were they were on the throne. They were the emperors for a very short period of time. And this ties back to that. So this is when Weyrich's forces were instrumental in defending the Reachmen or defeating the Reachmen. And in the aftermath, King Gardner joined with several other Breton kingdoms in signing the first Daggerfall Covenant, a pact of mutual defenses. And this is the beginning of that negotiation. Weyrest thrived for many years after until the king was suddenly felled by the Nahatan flu. And this was one of the flus that killed a lot of people in Tamriel. We've talked about this yep. in the past before, along with his entire family, ending the Gardner dynasty. So basically That's anybody who could have followed after him was also taken out by the flu. That's rough. Yeah. That's rough to have your whole family lineage just whoosh, That's the end. Just, yeah. yeah. Although I get the feeling the Nahatan flu did that to a lot of families in in the lore. Yeah, I think, I mean, from a story writing standpoint, it's a very nice, like, clean cut way of saying, like, this is where the old stuff ends and this is where the new stuff is. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's also a very interesting thing because that because it really does happen in reality. You look at the lineages yeah. of, say, kingdoms and things like that, and some of them were actually destroyed by things like plague or, or whatever in the real world. Yeah, for sure. Um, so he succeeded uh, King Gardner. Um, uh, and he was of the Cumberland dynasty because he was of Cumberland, Emric of Cumberland. And he would go on to form the second Daggerfall Covenant, which vied for the Ruby Throne, of course, during the Interregnum. So he finished the deals that were being worked out by King Gardner, who had initiated those deals. Um, any other thoughts on this stuff? Otis? So not not really. Um, I mean, I always found uh, we'll go more into this when we cover the third ruler from the third faction of the Elmer Dominion next time. But to me, this, um, how can I put it? The Daggerfall Covenant and Kim King Emmerich himself strike me as we had talked about how Yorind was kind of so atypical of what you would expect in a ruler. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Daggerfall Covenant and King Emmerich seem like such a this is your medieval style of succession to become a ruler and make political alliances, marriages, all of this stuff. 
for the sole purpose of succeeding in your ambitions to rule right and right being being good it, at military being good yes. at finances at trade yep. um and yeah just commerce in general right right you've got treaties brokering right. things like all of right. the aristocracy and, stuff that you're supposed to be good at and trained to do yes they strike me or you know that this whole thing is spearheaded by emmerich himself they are to me the stereotypical this is your medieval um dynasty coming together mm -hmm. to rule a region um which isn't which isn't like a bad thing that just because it, it's a little more predictable or anything like that but it, it's just it's funny that they're almost like the grounding in here is our anglo-saxon style of right, right. medieval input into the series right are you guys um, familiar with western europe here you go yeah. <laughs> yeah. here you go this is the bretons <laughs> yeah yeah um and and some of his uh diplomatic credit goes to the fact that the tensions that we had talked about in the Ebenhart pact are equally if not I wouldn't say more so, but certainly at least on equal footing in many situations between the three races that he does bring together under the banner of the Daggerfall Covenant, because man, the orcs just got kicked constantly. <laughs> oh yeah. From that's, all sides. That's their whole story, right? Yeah. Everybody picks on the orcs. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and the red guards are aggressive as hell. And you've got, this unified beating of the poor Orsimer who are a formidable force, but getting these people to all cooperate for a while in a very, very uneasy truce is, I don't know. It's, it's very different than what we discussed last time, but with a couple similarities to, mm -hmm. to their formation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's not an easy task. So I, I think that just goes to show how, qualified somebody like emmerich or yeah. even or even you know his uh king gardner was either yeah. in either case that they were able to broker these things and actually see them through right. um, especially with the fact that they were both known for um their uh, military prowess but they knew not to always rely on military prowess they knew that sometimes they needed to rely on diplomacy and that they seem very balanced in those two ways so let's talk about his rise to power um of course, he was a member of the Cumberland dynasty. His father's name, Eric Pyrrhic, was uh, he was sure that he was schooled in both economics and military matters. Again, part of that balance. And he served as a lieutenant escorting caravans during the summers. So he was experienced, at least in escorting and military types of uh, command structure operations, those kinds of things. When he was 20 in the second era of 541, this is when this kind of recaps a little bit of it. He helped fend off the onslaught of the Reachmen during Durkarok's uh, uh, leader. He, I'm sorry. He <laughs> helped fend off the onslaught of the Reachmen leader Durkarok when the latter began began leading attacks against cities in High Rock. Emmerich finally killed. Emmerich is the one who killed Durkarok mm -hmm. outside of Daggerfall. Now, as we know, with, of course, these medieval types of structures, being an important person who's already important, who then kills the bad guy, the leader of the faction, is a, a very good way to win the sway of the people. 
right? That really puts your name on the map for other people to pay attention. Right. So then, of course, when they, uh, need, uh, they need a new leader, they're going, well, what about Emmerich? He slayed the bad guy. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right. So that makes sense for him to rise to power in that kind of context. Um, then in 563, the Nahatan flu swept through High Rock, killing Gardner and the entire his entire line, like we talked about before, and succession yep. fell to Emmerich, who ascended to the throne, beginning the Cumberland dynasty. And when this happened, there was purportedly a halo of gold around the sun on the day of his coronation. Now, is this like popular myth? Is this like, oh, he was a chosen new king of a new line, and so of course there was a halo of sun? Or were the powers that be doing something on that day or was this being summoned by some magical force among the powerful to make it look like it was predestined to be a thing who's to say right yeah i'm it's either imaginary uh the adra someone some one of the adra or somebody did it right or it was actually summoned through magic would those would probably be my three most likely reasons for thinking that happened um so then he went on to wed princess mariah of sentinel three years later and this greatly angered king ransar of shornhelm who had desired emmerich to marry his daughter leading to ransar's war in the last seat of that year he wielded the orichalc scalpel it's an orc weapon when Ransar's army came to the gates of Wayrest, and Emmerich's forces eventually succeeded in breaking their siege of his city. Again, military prowess, successful in military stuff, proving again that he should be the leader, right? In the aftermath of the war, Emmerich helped forge the Greater Daggerfall Covenant, and this is when that was finally forged. Emmerich was a strong advocate for an invasion of Cyrodiil in order to restore, get this, the true flame of the Empire of Man believing yeah believing that the emperor the empire needs always to be led by man manish races and so why not a breton right that's that's very funny for a a number of reasons but that you know granted yes the bretons are a manish race but they're known for being you know, half manish between <laughs> yes <laughs> so that the irony isn't lost on me there that like I guess in that situation, it's like, yes, we need to have a, ma- you know, a mannish race on the throne. Okay. So by doing that, you, you're saying that actually the perfect solution is a mix of the two, which is okay. That seems the most believable, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah that, that's, um, that's some interesting propaganda, almost in the same vein that the Almeria Dominion does with their, pushing forward the narrative of well no it's it's clearly the elven you know line that the mer right. should be in charge of right the mer so were kind of in charge to... the merge mer settled the entire continent this is our continent right. we should be ruling yeah so it's funny to see that there's actually an alternate take basically using the exact same logic that was done right. against them so right. well i guess the logic in this one is the empires that they recognize have always been led by manish races right. so therefore I, they should continue that lineage and the elves are going what about before that <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> but that's that's the thing it it it's a unifying factor amongst you know the 
men, you know, the, the not mer races. <laughs> right. um, that's that's a pretty solid unifying factor. It's like, all right, not them, then us. It's like, all right, well, there's your there's your unity. The only thing that is interesting, of course, is the Daggerfall Covenant ha- not, you know, involving the Orsimer, which is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. wrench in that where it's just like all right so you're still going to be talking down to one of the three groups in your right situation and notice, but all right and notice know. that the uh the marriage for uh um d- the diplomatic marriage that occurs is between a breton and a red guard and who are both guard, yes. mannish races there was no yes. there was no sign of like he debated between marrying the daughter of the orcish tribe or the red guard woman like there's there's none of that it's like yeah i'll marriage i'll marry the the mannish one that's fine but not an orc <laughs> like there's really? no like no consideration of that at all yes and it it does it it's funny because everybody well all, all of these factions, and we'll discuss more with the Dominion next time, has one, at least one, kind of, like, repressed group. And they're kind of brought in, and this is how they get along. And it it's funny, the Argonians, you know, the, the attempts to eliminate slavery were part of it. The orcs really seem like they're just simply there as a matter of proxy and muscle to the scenario. Yeah, it. Yeah. It seems like they're still on the outs, or at least that's always been my impression from doing well, it's, well it's, culturally they're very, very different. Like there's they, differences they between the Bretons and the Red Guards, right? Like they came yeah. from very different places, they have different histories. Um right. but and there is a certain similarity in that like they're all mannish and they have yeah. a belief in like similar types of governmental styles. Right. And whereas the orcs are very tribal, they're very, very like, tribal. It's very different. And, if you were again not to go out of our way to spoil anything but um the rothgar dlc for orsinium delves a lot into this storyline with uh king what's his name Krokog. i don't remember yeah they're all like Uh, morgok and korgar Uh, yeah yeah apologies i don't know King, King Korog. Korog, that's it. There you I, go. I'm almost positive that's Korog. it. Uh, King, yes. King Just Korog. add a bunch of cuz, guz, ers, and yeah. And then eventually you'll Some get, you'll get a word. Some O's. There's your vowels. Yep. Um, otherwise, it'd be Dwemer. Yeah, no vowels. <laughs> um, what do you call it? But like, if you were to do that storyline, you get to see more of the uh, Orsimer side of things. And to exactly that point, a lot of the Orsimer tribes are opposed to the fact that Orsinium is this structured establishment along more of the you know mm-hmm. medieval style lines that the bretons and the the red guards use as well so that that's actually like diluting. a focus of one of the stories yeah 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 like they're losing their uh their culture to the other yep. to the other uh, societies around them um, exactly which is which is you know like that's again another real world thing you know, when in and in many cases, historically, when a smaller, less powerful culture is too uh, in, in too much pro- much proximity to or enveloped by a larger culture, oftentimes that doesn't go. Uh, they don't go unchanged. The interesting thing here, though, is that uh, as much as I've studied history, which is a good bit, um, the same thing does happen to the dominant culture as well. Um, look at the mm-hmm. way uh, English evolved when. Um, when taken over by the Normans, uh, we went from a very Germanic language to a mixed language, yep. and it never did quite change uh, for either group. Um, 
or ne- never did quite go back. Uh, other, other, there's all other concepts in this too. You take um, America, you take um, a very uh, Western European style of um, governments and culture, and then you import a bunch of slaves from Africa. And a few hundred years later, we're still dealing with the issues of that. But you can't say that the dominant culture, the, the Western European culture, wasn't highly influenced by the less dominant culture of uh, the Africans. You know, like, right. look at our music, look at our culture. All of it is very influenced by both. Um, so it, it's, you know, it works both ways. So sure. interesting stuff. Yeah, jazz. Jazz is a good a good representation of that. And yeah. and for all the um, for all the difficulties, and we've been going through a lot of these in the last year, there's been a lot of talk about, um, you know, racial division and, and things like that and how everyone needs to come together, which Lotus and I firmly believe that everybody yeah. should come together. Yes. <laughs> um, and so for all of the neg- negative things that come about it through racism, you end up with a lot of positive things as well. You have the combined cultures create things that are beautiful that never would have existed separated which is really really cool um yeah everything from jazz to rock and roll to hip-hop to you know any of those styles of music would never have been a thing dance styles uh language there's a lot there's a lot that we never would have gotten um so anyway interesting points why don't we move into the middle of the show and then we'll come back with some interesting stuff about the uh later part of his reign or at least the more current part of his reign and then some other little tidbits toward the end here the skies are marked with numberless sparks each a fire and every one a sign so this is the part of the show where we get to thank our patrons you guys are amazing thank you so much for helping to support the show you are immensely appreciated very 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 much so especially and this is the part where i get to call out our tier five or higher patrons noodle al dente who is still a tier five patron thank you so much for that anybody who subscribes at a tier four or higher level will get to join us at the end of the month and reminder the end of the month uh patron episode will be in two weeks on the 28th uh, 9 p.m. Eastern on 28th at our regular recording time. Our, our recording time is now officially shifted to 9. I need to update the, the graphic on the screen to 9 p.m. Oh, yeah. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, Lotus's schedule has changed, so we're able to do it a little bit earlier yep. again. I so, can show up a little earlier now, which yeah, is nice because yeah. I don't need to be up so late. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So if you'd like to join us, there's still room for you to uh, either upgrade your current patron status or sign up as a Tier 4 patron. And if you'd like to help support the show in other ways, you can even sign up at lower tiers and get no ads or um uh you know help to just word of mouth is huge and you know what you know what ludus we're we've gone up and down in like the two to three to four hundred range over the last few months and Mm -hmm. if we can get up above 500 and stay there for a few months then we will hit my my crazy goal that i set when starting this to get an elder scrolls tattoo Ooh, yeah and I don't know I exactly what I thought about that entirely. <laughs> yeah, I remember you said that. I brought it up a while ago. Yeah, this is yeah, this that, is the, that and was a while ago. It can't just I peak for one month and go down because sometimes yeah, yeah. somebody will just like subscribe at like the, the with a god sure, tier. Sure, sure. Um, I, I just I actually had 
forgotten that you had mentioned that way back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I figured I should bring that up again because it's kind of a fun goal to share with. So you, if you guys can help me get to that, that would be amazing. I'll have like a Fallout one, maybe on one shoulder and like a Elder Scrolls one on the other. And you guys can help pick out what goes on it. Uh, I don't know, maybe a dragon or something, something awesome, right? Uh, nice. So you don't have a plan. It will be. Like, I don't have a plan. Yeah. So it'll just be designed if that ends up becoming a thing. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Neat. Talos axe. Like, yeah, something, <laughs> something badass. You know, I want something like really, really cool. So um, if you can either help contribute to that or just even come up with concepts, that would be amazing. So um, that's what we got going on. Check out patreon.com slash Elder Scrolls Lorecast for more info about that stuff. And let's move on with the rest of our show. Are you interested in starting a podcast, but you don't know how to get started? Are you concerned that your podcast just isn't reaching the audience that you're trying to reach? Well, this is Robots from the Robots Radio Network, and I have a podcast for you. It is the Podcast Creator's Guide. You can check it out here at robotsradio.net on any podcatcher and listen every week for quick tips and updates for how to get you started and growing your podcast even faster. Check it out today. The Podcaster's Creator's Guide. Yes, yes, you're entirely brilliant. Conquering madness and all that. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no, uh, Crystal. I will not have a tattoo of Nazim on my arm. Why not? <laughs> he can be holding a sweet roll. Everybody's <laughs> Nazim with a sweet roll. Everybody's favorite <laughs> character from Skyrim on my arm, right there. Um, so, <laughs> so let's get into this. Uh, so, a little bit more information about King Emric uh, in. 582, he was abducted by Magus General Septima Tharn, Tharn, right? We've talked about the Tharn family, of the Imperial Legion for whom he had once nursed an unrequited attraction. Dun, dun, dun. She mm. took him. I've been listening to the Mechanist raps and every one of them end with dun, dun, dun. So that's not stuck in my head. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> somebody, somebody have shifty eyes real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, she took him to a famed Red Guard crypt, the Hall of Heroes, which her scouts had rediscovered in the fallen wastes of Bankarai. There she slew King Emric. So not only was her love unrequited, but she kills the guy dead. And then she that's, was, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 let me finish this up and then we'll get to some, <laughs> some impressions on yep. this. And then she was able to, uh, physically follow his soul to the far shores. A soldier of the Daggerfall Covenant was able to follow and slay Tharn in turn as a reward for his heroic deed. Get this. Tawaka allowed the soldier and King Emmerich to return to life in Mundus. And if Tawaka is not a familiar name to you, it is because Tawaka is not one of the standard Adras or Daedras that we usually talk about. Tawaka is actually a red guard deity, a red guard God who represents the uh, conveyance of souls to the afterlife. Um, and just real quick, Tawaka is the tricky god of the Yakudan god of souls. Of course, red guards came from Yakuda, Yakudan god of souls and god of the far shores. Before the creation of the world, he was the god of nobody really cares, which is, is my favorite awesome. title. I love that. When Tall Papa, they all have great names, undertook the creation of the walkabout, Tawaka found a purpose. He became the caretaker of the far shores and continues to help red guards find their way into the afterlife. So Tawaka must have believed that Emmerich and the soldier were not ready to be dead 
and brought them back. Now, the soldier didn't die. They just went to the far shores. But Emmerich died and was resurrected. Talk about well, let's let I me mean, let's talk about like medieval Western uh, religion or myth. A king who dies and is resurrected. And Emmerich represents that right here. Like, yeah. we've got kind of a Jesus thing going on a little bit. Um, a little, little bit. A little, little bit. bit. Not exactly. But the whole, you know, this this kind of stuff happens in literature a lot, right? The death and resurrection of a, of a prime character. So, yeah. yeah. So, super interesting. And Tawaka wasn't even his god. Like, I know. So, that's what I find most fascinating about all of this. Because if one of the... If I'm... I don't know if if I was, I, I guess this is a world where praying to gods, or at least Daedra, gets you a response, right? <laughs> um, which isn't you know uncommon. It's more uncommon to have the Aedra actually do anything for you. But um, if I am resurrected or I am given a gift by a god that I don't acknowledge really, because I one would not assume that as a Breton he's praying to Tuwaka or right. anything like that. If he returns me to life, I am like pretty on board with like, okay, I chose incorrectly and I need to go with that. <laughs> I need to change. I need to change my beliefs here. This is now right. my God of choice. Yes. Yeah. Because it, he's reaching entirely out of his own pantheon into like, okay, we're going to save this Brett. And it's like, well, that settles that. I mean, this guy's right. clearly like amazing. Cause he just gave me a second chance at this. So what's, what's also interesting about this is that King Emmerich is killed and the, his soul dies and goes to Tawaka's realm. It doesn't go to um, uh, what's the uh, Aetherius, right? It doesn't. It, oh, there's yeah. not like a direct movement to Aetherius. The assumption here is that this must be some sort of stopgap point in Oblivion before souls move on to Aetherius, and that also raises the question of like, is Tuwaka the same as Arkay or Xarxes who seem to be that same role, the the god who ferries the souls of the dead on to where they're going? And right. this is actually brought up in a book I discovered in researching this um, called Tuwaka, Arkay and Xarxes by Lady Cinnabar of Tanith, a discussion of the similarities of gods. And there's a passage at the very end that talks about Tawaka. It defines Archaean and Xarxes. These, these are Manish and, and Murish gods of, you know, moving people onto the dead. They're very similar, but different in very specific ways. And then it talks about Tuwaka, and it, where it shows the pronunciation here as Tuarka, and says, which brings us inevitably to the Yukudin deity Tuwaka. How long he has worshipped in that name, he was worshipped in that name by the human tribes of Yakut is not uh, is now unknowable as all our race's records were lost in the cataclysm that sank the archipelago. But as even old Frastus had the wits to note, it cannot be a coincidence that Tawaka performs the same functions for the Red Guards that Arkay and Xarxus do for the Tamrielic men and Myrrh. Are these gods really separate and distinct deities, or are they all aspects of the same deity, worshipper under different names in different cultures? Which leads me to ask the question, if they are in fact actually the same deity who can represent themselves in different guises for the different cultures that they interact with, why wouldn't why did Tuwaka slash RK slash Xarxes not show himself as RK? 
and Tuwaka instead. And it was, was it because they were trying or he was trying to give Emric a sense of importance and legitimacy for the Red Guard people? Do you follow the logic there? Yeah, no, I, I was going to say uh, almost like here is physical proof that like we matter more than maybe you were giving us credit or something like that. Right. Like you married into this line of Red Guard yep. royalty. Your wife is a Red Guard, but don't right. just see them as different people who have different beliefs that you're just kind of going to put up with. Like, sure, their beliefs are just as legit as yours because I freaking brought you back from the dead. <laughs> like, Yeah. That I, I could see that as a, a potential um, reasoning behind something like that. Because, um, again, it it's, seems strange that someone that obviously, I mean, unless they, they just never mention it, mention it. And, you know, he had been praying <laughs> to the Yakutan gods this whole time, which Maybe. seems unlikely. Yeah. Um, there seems like there would be a deeper reasoning behind that just happening other than hey you know what the hell i'll just grab you you seem fine you you're right. doing some good things i'll just pull you back for no reason like that that's a very good point or or i'm looking out for my people i believe that you this uh this um pairing of these two groups yeah. is good for my people i would like your descendant who is mixed with the red guard people to remain in power therefore i'm going to keep you alive you know right. some something along those lines either making them seem more legitimate or helping to forward their agenda by again making the red guards more legitimate in this sure in this treaties that they've they, you know this uh you know i don't know what what is it uh what's the word but the two groups come together and you know they work together um Words fall out of my brain. So, <laughs> so I found this other passage, alliance, and an alliance. in this covenant. So you don't have. Uh, in this, I could just use the there. word covenant, couldn't I? Um, but you could use the word covenant. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. So yeah, I we're found, in an alliance war, and we're talking about the covenant. It's almost like all the words are just right there, and we're not grabbing them. I know, right? Right. Imagine that. Um, so in the. Uh, <laughs> I look over a few different wikis when I put this stuff together, and usually if I quote stuff, I, I pull it from the UESP, but this passage right here, I thought did a really good job summing up um, his legacy, and this comes from the fandom site, and it says here, the history surrounding Emmerich of Cumberland after the Second Era 582 is unknown, thus like the, the time after the game. We don't really have a story for how his line ends. But he paved the way for a new era of prosperity for the kingdom of Wayrest. Emmerich was the first in line for the Cumberland dynasty that ruled over Way Wayrest. Considering Emmerich's age, he had likely passed away a few years since he was killed in Bankerai, with his son of likely Breton Redguard descent assuming the throne of Wayrest and likely the Daggerfall Covenant. Eventually, the Cumberland dynasty was killed off for reasons unknown, being replaced by the Horley dynasty, who would then be replaced by a line from the Septum dynasty, beginning with Magnus Septum. By the time the Tiber Wars had occurred, Emric's Daggerfall Covenant was likely was over, likely through internal strife, since the second Orsinium was sacked by then, and both High Rock and Hammerfell had little to no relation with each other. While Emric's mm -hmm. legacy of the Covenant had failed to an extent, his legacy in Wayrest would last forever. So, he did his best to bring the people together and unite around these things, but as history would have it, eventually things fall apart, and the group's become bitter again and separate which you know 
that's kind of the way things go sometimes. Yep. Is uh, yeah. It wasn't destined to be in this situation. Nope. Nope. Wasn't destined to be. But it's kind of interesting to think that um, these kinds of things do happen. And and again, this makes me think of things that happened historically. For example, um, most of us know about uh, the French king. Man, I should have written this down earlier, but it just occurred to me now, so I didn't have time to write it down early. The uh, the French king in what was it, the fifth, uh, no, was it 800s? Um, oh, what was his name? He, he basically united what was left of Europe after the, uh, the fall of Rome. Uh, French first Napoleon? king. No, no, Napoleon no. was like 200 years ago. That was, yeah, I was going to say that was actually much later. Never mind. Scratch that. It's not Louis. It's. Uh, I'm not going to remember it right now. Um, I'm trash with history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say n- names and exact dates, not my strong points. So like, I was like, right. It was it was before France was a thing, but there was a king from that area area um, who came to power and was the first king um, to unite a lot of the people in the post Roman era. And also, although he was illiterate, he was able to start um, schooling. He basically created schools and created education, actually brought people together, kind of united people. And then after he died, uh, passed things on to his son. And then, of course, everything dissolved back into these like feudal states again. Um, Charlemagne, Charlemagne, that's it. Um, there you go. So King Charlemagne, I think, believe this was the eighth century, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm just going to grab that name for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> this name just pulled, uh, just pulled this out of my yeah. butt. But um, and I didn't yeah. research this ahead of time because it just occurred to me that this is very similar to that. You have a fractured area with lots of different groups and people who are leading these different groups and they don't get along and they don't unite. And then you have somebody who comes and unites them and creates a better situation for everybody. And then they go on, pass away, everything eventually falls apart again. And it was Mm -hmm. almost like they weren't there. Although they did have an impact for the rest of time, it wasn't, it wasn't a lasting situation that was created. So, um, People in Normandy, I think Crystal says, people in Normandy share a, a Norse descent after France surrendered the area to the Vikings. Um, yeah. So anyway, so fun stuff, fun history things. Uh, and I might be getting some of that wrong, but it did just occur to me that that, that is kind of similar in, in some ways. Any other thoughts on this, Lotus? No, it's just, um, it, it's the only thing that I do find interesting about their side, which I'm not going to lie, until you... Uh, finished up there at the very end with the legacy section. Um, I actually kind of forgot that. I mean, they don't directly have the time frame as it seems like, you know, it, it did dissolve as they devolved back into that. But like, they seemed almost like they had a more conclusive end to their covenant. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Ebonheart Pact, not so much. The Dominion, We'll get into that next time, but there's kind of like up in the air about how all of this comes about. And I know it's supposed to be ambiguous because, you know, you you're the hero in your story and there's three factions. So, you know, it's like, oh, nobody really wants to be the loser. Right. And right. Pick the wrong side. Um, but we know that in the end, none of these factions are still around. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. To a degree, there's modified versions of them, but like none of them 
in and of themselves exist the way that they were in this game. Mm-hmm. And with EP or the Ebonheart Pact, it's kind of ambiguous more so like who did they go back to that slavery actually kind of isn't so much a thing but it is in certain regions so obviously that doesn't get completely removed there's still the tensions between all the races over there with the daggerfall covenant it seems pretty conclusive that they just like oh yeah they devolve back into just this like beforehand they said i mean maybe I'm, i'm taking this too literally but it seems like they directly lose like you can easily point to the fact that they just don't win this three banner war so to speak yeah um yeah which which is interesting i guess i i kind of didn't remember that they had a little bit more of a conclusive end to to their lineage um but you know like, like i said they all kind of end it's just well it's only so many years before tiber septum rises to power and basically stomps everybody right and if you're going to be of nordic or imperial background you're going to claim him for yourself and everyone else is going to have to say yeah tiber septum kicked our butts i mean that's right kind of what happens at the end of the the era right so with that when it comes to the pact it's kind of like since their main goal wasn't to rule whereas the other two factions were to rule mm-hmm. it i i've always liked the fact that it's like well obviously we know what happens further down the timeline with tiber somebody just comes in and raffle stomps everybody right right i can still be on the winning side because hey once we completed what we were doing with the ebon heart pack we just kind of drifted apart because that was the goal whereas the other two alliances that's not their goal it's it is to literally rule which we know does not happen so Mm -hmm. uh, maybe that's uh, we didn't talk about it last time but maybe that's why i feel like more of a a, an attachment to the ebonheart pact because i guess with the fourth wall breaking knowledge of knowing where the series goes I like my faction not having a conclusive defeat in the, <laughs> in their <laughs> in their history, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I could see that. I can see that. Yeah, like it's, it's, there's a little part I of you that's just like, mm, yeah, there's more of a chance that they actually win because I don't know they lose. <laughs> right. Exa- yes. Exactly. <laughs> Process of elimination the opposing way. It's like, well, you can't prove we lost, so by default, I think that I won. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, this is a again another another cool character, and as they as they usually do with any of these characters, they're pretty well fleshed out. You know, there's you can I mean you meet him in the game, so you know what he's like personally, but yep. you get a sense of like okay, military like he's a formidable guy. It makes sense that he was yep. the leader. You know, like he was good at military stuff. He was good at financial stuff. He was good at diplomacy. Like he was probably the right right leader for the right time. And he yeah, just and he, and he, he happened to be the guy who killed the emperor who was, you know, previously <laughs> yeah. in charge. So sure. good job. Good good on him. <laughs> good work. Good work. <laughs> so all right. Well, thank you for joining us, everybody. Um I think next week we're gonna tackle uh the the last of the remaining uh leaders who again words are dropping out. What's her name? Uh Queen Iren. Queen Iren. Words are not One coming the, to my head prob- today. Probably the most 
contentious of them. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that people either love her or well, actually, it doesn't. A lot of people don't seem to have an issue with her necessarily right. so much right. as her alliance, myself included, where I despise the Elmer Dominion. Queen A runs whatever. That's fine. Uh, she she means well, um, <laughs> and her back her her backstory is very cool. So I'll be excited to talk about that next time. Yeah, it should be a good episode. Um, well, cool, man. Hey, you got anything else going on before we head out? No, not really. Um, just streaming on Twitch when I get the chance. Um, I will be starting, actually, I guess the only thing of note, speaking of Dominion-based things, um, I would like to shout out my community and all all the little groups who chimed in for this. I will be starting Battlespire possibly this weekend if Ooh. I can carve out a chunk of time yeah. so that I can do what I can to see if there's any... Uh, reference points that we can use for upcoming lore casts with the coming year of um, the Gates of Oblivion. I put up a poll in which I left it to the community to tell me what race I would play. I voted. Uh, I appreciate it. Many <laughs> people did. And despite my co-host from Tales of Tamriel, both of them, in fact, touting that people are just should vote Altmer to make my life crap. Uh-huh. Um, Dunmer won, and I, yeah. I, I get to play a Dunmer in uh, the new game, That's cool. which is very cool. Um, I voted Redguard. I wanted to see you play a Redguard through it. I, I would have been. I don't know what the stats are from game to game because they do change the racial bonuses and negatives to each game. Yeah. Um, but I will say that Redguard is one of my favorites to play because <laughs> it just coincides with a lot of their strengths relate to running in like an axe wielding maniac, which oh, yeah, is how yeah. I like they to They tend to be more games. melee focused. And, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, not sure what the strengths and weaknesses of Dunmer's will be. So I'll be, I'll be curious uh, how that works specifically in this game. And in this situation, um, yeah, I, I will be making a... Dunmer and starting up my adventures in uh, an Elder Scroll Legend <laughs> Battle Spire, which is I've heard very challenging and yeah, clunky is a word and <laughs> adjective that's getting thrown at me a lot from people who have any experience in it. So I believe it. Stay tuned. Hopefully, I get some neat insights that we can use to decipher some of the upcoming stuff in. Um, the coming year for ESO. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, well, yeah. good luck. Good luck with all of that. I think yeah, that's awesome. Appreciate it. Also, thank you for the raid. You were streaming before this, and um, oh yeah, for some, sure. Some people jumped in during the live stream, and uh, just a, again reminder: come join us for the live show. We have a lot of fun chatting with you guys while while doing the show. And thank you to anybody who's here from Lotus's stream. If this is your first time, I would love for you to follow the channel. Come join us again on a future episode. We love having you guys here. Um, I am doing my shows regularly. Uh, you know, things are pretty normal for me. I've been streaming during the day every day since m a Monday a week ago uh, when I work on my stuff, editing down my contents, creating videos, doing those kinds of things. And it's just kind of nice to have people to chat with. So if you're looking for like a work buddy, that you want to just chat with while you work, while I work and you work or whatever, or you just want to hang out, um, you know, follow the channel, turn on notifications. I usually come online between about 1030 and noon, and then I'll be on for at least a few hours usually. And then sometimes after that, I play games and, you know, you're welcome to, he to hang out in the afternoons or, or in the mornings if I don't have any work to do and, you know, play games with me or, or just watch. Love to have you here. So that's what I've got going on. 
Well, Lotus, thanks. Thanks for being here again. This was super fun. For sure. And everybody, Looking thank, forward to next week. Yeah. Thanks for being here and have a good week. And until next week, try not to die so you don't have to get resurrected by a foreign god because uh, I hear it's not particularly dependable. You know, maybe King Emmerich's the only one I've ever heard that working for. So, uh, yeah, don't do that. We'll see you guys later. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Elder Scrolls Lorecast. If you have something you'd like to contribute to the show, please reach out to us at Lorecast at gmail.com or on Twitter at ESO Lorecast. I really appreciate you listening, and I'd love to hear from you soon. You've been listening to the Robots Radio Podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net. Have you ever wondered how deep the Elder Scrolls lore rabbit hole goes? Have you got a grasp of the basics and want to find out more about the universe? Written in Uncertainty is here to help you. We'll be mixing in philosophy, theology, and whatever other theory is useful with Elder Scrolls texts to untangle some of the biggest questions in the series, like what are Dragon Breaks? How does Chim work? Where did the Dwemer go? And more. Check us out at writteninuncertainty.com or find Written in Uncertainty on any podcatcher. Thanks for listening, and catch you later in the grey maybe of Tamriel. In a world where solid-state electronics and vacuum tubes are still meta, people never stop loving atomic-powered everything. A chosen 500 stepped inside a subterranean vault to be spared the nuclear horror of the inevitable Great War. 25 years later, they emerge after the fallout settles to retake Appalachia. Among them, two former rivals whose blood feud will tear West Virginia apart in their epic struggle for survival. Chad, a vault bro who has a strength of 15, an intelligence of two, and is a complete wasteland dickhead. Simon, a complicated anti-hero who chooses light and hope, but accidentally becomes a cannibal and wakes up naked and afraid with a Scorch Beast Queen after a date goes terribly wrong. What? I mean, it's a wild wasteland, right? This dark humor radio drama will have you driving off the road and crawling out from under the fallout. Two men. One wasteland. And so many nukes. Chad, a Fallout 76 podcast, rated R. Now streaming on your holotape player podcasty thing. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story, available now.